You are listening to the Ethics for Medics podcast with Edjo Dinucci and Christoffer Bjerghese. So welcome back to another episode of Ethics for Medics. Ciao everybody. Today we are going to talk about priorities in the Danish healthcare, how it has changed. And then we will bring an actual, you know, a clinical example of how how much it can be a dilemma or at least how difficult it is in, in practice when we talk about priorities and what is fair and what is not fair. So first, let's start talking about how it has been at least for a long time in the Danish healthcare setting, at least in the how it has been a narrative in the Danish healthcare system. And that has been that there should be equal rights for everybody in the Danish healthcare system. That if, even despite you potentially are rich, you're not supposed to pay for going to the hospital. And at the same time, despite that you might be poor or you have been, it's partly your own fault that you have been smoking and now you have a chronic obstructive lung disease and you need a lot of treatment, it's still the society that pays most of it. After all, again, with the assumption or the with the value that everybody should be treated equally, regardless of the background and their personal conditions. So today I will just simply ask you, based on what the students at medical school are supposed to, to learn and know about medical ethics, how could one argue for this kind of equal rights in the healthcare system? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a really big and interesting question, and I'm really looking forward to to discuss it with you, Christopher. I guess the the, the main argument for equality of healthcare services is the same as this argument that we have in the political sphere about, for example, voting rights uh, or political rights. Right? Human beings are equal; they're born equal. I mean, it sounds very American and stuff like that. <laughs> it happens to be part of the American Constitution, but um, or uh, the Declaration of uh, of Independence. But um, but that's that's basically the, the argument. So the argument is every human being counts the same, and uh, and that's why. And and then you and then you can say, and that's why basically everybody is entitled to uh, to the same amount or quality. Of healthcare independently, I think that there is so much that I want to say about this that that I'm you know I might need to sort of put some order in my thoughts. But but I think what's important about the way you introduce this this problem about the sort of you know that everybody is entitled to uh, to equal healthcare services is that it's independent of your background. So it's independent, for example, on of your bank account, um, but it's also independent that, uh, as you said. Uh, of your behavior, of your past behavior. Those are two completely different things, right? Because um, as, as you were saying, I mean, obviously smoking is also related to income and socioeconomic situation, but but you could clearly distinguish between behaviors and the consequence those have for someone's health and genetics and things like that, right? And then and, and say, okay, some things you are responsible for and some you're not. And the great thing about equality especially within healthcare, and we say, well, we don't have to bother with all of that, right? Everybody is entitled to the same, no matter how they were born 
with what genetic makeup or how they behaved and why they behaved that way. So in a way, it's actually, it's also a shortcut, right? And maybe funnily enough, then it costs a lot of money to give everybody the same healthcare, but it also simplifies things because we don't have to look into why does someone uh, have a certain, you know, behavior that might be unhealthy or something like that, or what kind of uh, genetic makeups causes this kind of stuff, right? So that's that's the sort of the one side of it. That's the the delivery side of things, right? So the delivery is completely in theory, right? And today we're going to talk about the fact that that theory is challenged by um, by a lot of different things. But in theory, the delivery should be independent of any information about the patient. The only relevant thing is medical need, right? Uh, that's the beauty of healthcare in a in a welfare uh, state, in theory. But I think what you asked me was, in a way, something else. You wanted to know what's the argument for equality, right? And, and that's obviously a much more philosophical, uh, philosophical question. And um, because then, very quickly, as we've just seen, that becomes the question of, well, are we equal? Right? What is this conception of humanity according to which... Uh, human beings are equal. And let's go back, I think if you'll allow, Christopher, let's go back to the first season of this podcast because we talked there about different approaches to morality but f- and we obviously played with the differences, for example, the differences between a more Kantian approach based on autonomy and a more utilitarian or consequentialist approach based on utility or harm and things like that, right? But, uh, but funnily enough, these different approaches to ethics and also to medical ethics have something in common namely equality, right? Both on a Kantian approach, but also on a utilitarian approach, who you are doesn't matter. You're a human being and you count as one, right? That's something that that these different approaches have in common. And now what you're asking is one of the most difficult philosophical questions ever, basically. You're asking, yeah, but why? What's the justification of equality? And obviously that's not something that we can deal with satisfactorily in 2025 or even maybe 30 <laughs> and let's open a let's open a, a brackets here because we just had feedback saying that our podcast episodes are too long we actually were very proud of keeping it short but i guess it shows that we're we're getting older christopher and that we think that you know 30 minutes is short in a world in which 30 minutes is way too long but anyway so i'll try to be concise i'll give you maybe one powerful argument I'm not going to be able to convince a skeptic with this argument, but I think it's a powerful argument. We all die. That's something we've got in common. We live very different lives, but one thing we all have in common is that we die. Another thing that we all have in common, or almost all of us, is that we suffer. So I guess the basic argument for equality across the whole of humanity is that some of the most fundamental things. And then we could go on. You know, those dying and suffering are not the only two things that we have in common, right? Another thing that we might have in common is, you know, the ability to feel, right? To, to for example, fear, but also maybe love and things like that. Um, so, and then you might think, oh, come on, you're getting a little bit cheesy here, right? But, but I think that's actually uh, correlates with how fundamental this question is, right? In a completely, from a completely different point of view, if you don't want to be so hyper-philosophical and talk about our mortality or emotions, you could think in terms of, well, we have a political system of representation 
in which everybody has a voice. And that's the reason why everybody's entitled to healthcare, right? Because we are equal under the law. And think of that, right? Healthcare is not the only system that needs to give an account of equality. Because our legal system is exactly the same. In theory, we're all equal uh, in front of the law. Ironically, if I might say, I mean, this might sound like a bit childish from a grown-up adult philosophy professor, but uh, but I think it's kind of funny. I always thought, look, you know, uh, we've got public health care. And when, then you can also, in most countries, you can go and buy yourself a better clinician. But almost every country, you know, lawyers, well, people pay for them. Right. So, I mean, that, that, and I'm, I'm just bringing in lawyers, not because, you know, I want to do lawyer bashing because that would be very cheap. Right. But just to explain, I think, the the dialectic of, of what we want to talk about today. Right. That in principle, we're all equal. In front of the law. But then how expensive our lawyer is correlates with our chances of success if we go to trial. Right. And I guess the worry is that increasingly our healthcare systems are becoming like our courts. That in theory we're equal, but then it's actually about your lawyer's fee. And that correlates to your sense of success. And if and I think what we want to resist, but maybe, but maybe it will ultimately be impossible, is exactly that. That healthcare becomes like the law and that our clinicians become like our lawyers. And I think what we need to talk about today is that well, the fact that we have universal health care maybe doesn't guarantee that. Right? But I hope I haven't disappointed you by going so philosophical about the question of equality. Right? No, I think it's, it's very good. And uh, one reason why I also think it's very, some very good answers or points you make is that uh, you actually provide some uh, positive arguments. Because... Uh, my Nietzschean thought would be like bringing up some negative arguments, saying, okay, if in case we are supposed to do the priorities and we shouldn't treat people equally, what would then be those conditions that we were considering uh, fair or reasonable to treat people differently? How would, who should be capable of doing so and based on what? And that would also refer back to some of the previous episodes about the whole evidence versus truth right you might have evidence again as my example about smoking that there is of course a clear correlation to lung diseases but is that the whole truth of why people are smoking and their whole background and so on it that's two different objects right uh, two di different distinguish uh, and also the whole talk we have had about ontology and epistemology again saying okay what is actually equality what is what does it mean that something is fair in healthcare is the society we have at the moment actually is it fair and so on and that could also be you know that's why i say that's a kind of negative argument saying okay if you actually do want to have uh, to distinguish more between people then how are you going to do that and if you're not capable of providing a proper uh, suggestions for that then maybe we should continue what we are doing now, I think this is great that you're that you're analyzing this in terms of positive arguments and negative arguments. And absolutely, you know, I've given positive arguments that are really difficult to make. 
yeah, or yeah, I've given a kind of placeholder yeah. or an hope for a positive argument. But maybe the more powerful argument, as you're saying, Christopher, are the negative ones, the ones that basically, well, there is no good coherent principle to discriminate uh, and therefore to justify treating people differently. And that's the most powerful argument for equality. Um, and I'll give you an example of that. It actually comes from, uh, from uh, if I can uh, you know, make a little plug for myself, um, from the new edition of the textbook that we use at the medical school, Ethics for Medics. Oh, it's called like the podcast, <laughs> um, where, uh, where I, I discuss in the introduction the case in which a criminal comes into your ward or comes into the ER where you have a shift or something like that. And, um, and imagine that you know from the news that this person is a criminal because, you know, I don't know, you got on your mobile some, some news flash and you know that there's been, a, there's been something going on and, and it's quite obvious to you, speaking about evidence, it's quite obvious to you that that is the person that did this horrible uh, act. I don't know, imagine a, a rape or, a, or, a, or an attack on someone or something like that. And, um, and then obviously, in this case, we know exactly what you should do. You should give, give it your best. You should try to save their lives or to, uh, or, or to treat them as if they were any person. Right? And now you might think, wait, why? And I think in, on this case, you have exactly the kind of both the positive and the negative possible uh, analysis that the two of us have been offering, right? So the positive one would be, yeah, but he, he or she, and it's always a he, right? You know, but is a human being. Uh, even the rapist is a human being. And I think that's a really difficult argument to make. Fuck the rapist. Let them die. You know, maybe actually make a, a mistake on purpose and kill them in a way. Why not, right? Okay, will I get, will I get in trouble for saying this on the podcast? Um, <laughs> no, no. But, um, bringing all kind of but so that's Right, so that's the, the, the positive thing of saying, yeah. then you, this, that's how difficult it is, the positive argument for equality, of saying even the rapist is a human being. Does the rapist really have human rights and equal rights? Is that the society we want? And, um, and the negative argument is, you can do it both on does the rapist have uh, human rights. You can say, well, but they're not a rapist until the legal system has found them guilty. And if they're just been delivered uh, to your ward, they've probably not been through trial yet. Um, and the, the version of that negative argument for all the healthcare system would basically be, well, it cannot be doctors making these discriminatory decisions. The reason why doctors are expected to treat everybody equally is not that everybody is equal, but it's just that it's someone else's job to draw these distinctions. I think this is a version of what you're saying, basically. Yeah. And uh, that we've organized the system in such a way, it's basically division of labor. Uh, the doctors do the healthcare, and someone else does the, you know, equality or not business. And, uh, and outsourcing that business to the doctors, well, that just wouldn't be fair on the doctors. It wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be a, a good system because that's not their expertise. Um, so actually, it's just easier from a, not from a moral point of view, but from the point of view of basic logistics, it's easier for doctors to act to, according to a principle of equality, whether or not this principle of equality is actually true, basically. And that leads us to the, to the next part, because then interestingly, Recently, there has been a kind of change in the public discussion, the public debate about healthcare in Denmark due to the increasing pressure 
on the healthcare and the, the lack of sustainability to continue the way we are doing the healthcare system in Denmark. And I have to say, uh, from a clinical perspective, that's also why I used the word narrative before. That is, you're de facto, in reality, you are treating patient and people differently. Not much, and it's not something that you aim for explicitly. But after all, you still, of course, know this person is highly educated. They know very well about symptoms and so on. They will call you back in case they see online that they have a positive test result. While the next patient, you have no, <laughs> you have no suspicion that the, this patient will like ever see their own file afterwards, and they will not know if this is a symptom of something badly and so on. So therefore, you might have to you know write them or call them and ask, hey, has has the symptoms uh, gone away? Right. So it's it's not new in that sense, in the clinical practical sense, but in the narrative. In this society, it has changed. Also, re- very recently, last week or something, where there was this new um, recommendation recommendations from the Robustus Commission, these commissions about it, and they started making it very clear that we need to prioritize more. We need people are not supposed to be treated equally. Again. Not in. It doesn't mean that people just because they were doing CrossFit and uh, they broke their toe that uh, they have to pay for it themselves. But overall, saying okay, maybe you don't need to go to your GP uh, once a year if you are well treated and the GP has an idea that uh, you can, you will contact them in case you will have problems. Right? Do you have any? thoughts about this development in you're you're specializing in easy questions today right um <laughs> yeah so i mean i guess i mean it's almost as big if not by definition as big as the previous yeah. question right because you were asking before uh, christopher about arguments for equality and now you're asking okay so well what if now we change or the narrative changes and we are suddenly having to justify treating people differently. What arguments could we come up with? I think, can I resist a little bit, not just the treating people differently, but I think this postdoc rationalizing of what the politicians decide, right? So I don't think that's what uh, academics or, or, or even philosophers should be in the business of doing, right? Uh, of then finding good arguments to justify what some, uh, some political decided. But I think you're absolutely right that the, the background for that is scarcity of resources in the healthcare system, more pressure on the healthcare system. So those are tough choices. So, so how do we navigate these tough choices? And I think let's start from the structure that you gave us, and that very helpful structure you gave us before about the positive and negative arguments, right? So I guess the first argument for treating people differently is it's so difficult to come up with a convincing argument for equality. Everybody wants to believe in equality, but the convincing knockdown argument for equality, as we've seen earlier, is really difficult to provide. So that could be an argument for treating people differently, that that there is no convincing argument for equality. And then looking at uh, the negative arguments, uh, you could say, well, I mean, but if the the reason uh, for not treating people differently was a logistics problem, then obviously if we've got scarcity of resources, that's more important than a problem of logistics. Then, then we will find a way, 
right? We just have to, yeah, we need a new commission that draws up some guidelines and tells us a kind of responsible, acceptable, uh, socially acceptable way of treating people differently. Um, but again, I think what you really want to know, Christopher, is, you know, but is there any good moral, ethical reason for treating people differently? And I think there we get into the question of responsibility, of whether, for example, being responsible for a certain condition should factor in the healthcare priority decision-making, right? So I guess I'll just pick up, I mean, that's a really controversial case, but I'll just pick it up because, because you, brought it, uh, um, you brought it up earlier in this episode, the smoking case, right? So you might say that, you know, if, and smoking is controversial because it correlates with socioeconomic status, the so-called social determinants of health, but also it's controversial because it's addictive. Right, so those two things we shouldn't forget, right? But uh, but take smoking as an example of something that you could say, well, look, should a chain smoker get all the treatment that they get? Um, or should we say, well, we draw a line at practices, habits, you know, whatever and and then it goes into you know eating habits it goes into you know drinking problems and all these things right um, and and for example there it's relevant that you know that i mean some of those practices are addictive and some of them aren't so the the addiction question is a separate question than the question of the social determinants of health and um and the social determinants of health question you could say that also is again a, a, a separate question than the question of responsibility uh, namely, that we should not assume that uh, giving a, a social determinants of health approach negates responsibility. Um, but that would be, or I mean, I don't know if this was if it was extremely clear because it's such a controversial topic that I find it very difficult to speak clearly about it. But but responsibility would be an example of a possible reason for treating people differently, whether or not it's smoking, it's eating habits. Is drinking habits, or as you said, I think I liked your example so much better, the CrossFit, because I think of CrossFit as a kind of elite thing. Like, I, I don't yet exactly know what CrossFit is, um, but I guess it's something really fancy and new and modern and, and, and that people do that are very healthy and strong. So that doesn't sound working class to me. Um, so then I think, you know, let's take CrossFit and forget about smoking, drinking and, and eating habits. And uh, so that would be an example of a risky behavior of someone whose socioeconomic status is not very low. And, uh, and I guess your suggestion is, you know, if you're going to, or like bungee jumping would be, I guess, another risky behavior. And I guess bungee jumping ain't working class either, right? Uh, so those kind of things, if you have an injury as a result of that, if it was completely voluntary to sign up for CrossFit or to go bungee jumping or, or this kind of stuff, or to jump with a parachute from an airplane, that would be a straightforward case if you can give an account of that having been done voluntarily, without coercion, without social pressure. That would be a straightforward case of something that you are yourself responsible for. So you're responsible for having decided to go parachuting. Then you had an accident. Um, now, suppose we said, well, let's change the healthcare system and the people that have accidents as a result of parachuting have to pay for it themselves. Same with bungee jumping. Same with crossfitting. Do people say crossfitting? 
I think they just say CrossFit. I'm not sure how they do say the word. It was just me <laughs> trying to show that I don't know anything around the culture of CrossFit. But uh, but okay. But anyway, so so this would be uh, sorry if, if I'm making I'm not I'm trying not trying to make a joke. I'm trying to make a very serious point and trying to distinguish between obviously it's not going to be the bungee jumping, the parachuting, and the CrossFit that will be really heavy on the healthcare system. It will still be the drinking and the smoking and the eating habits. Um, but I'm distinguishing those two for two reasons because some of the members of one group are addictive like smoking while the members of the other group like crossfit are not addictive and then the second thing most if not all of the members of the one group are subject to a social determinants of health kind of explanation while members of the other group are not subject to the explanation or the social determinants of that group are have to do with privilege rather than with sort of um, other factors. And, uh, and therefore, they're compatible. That was also a way of showing, that's a bonus of this episode, that uh, social determinants of health accounts are, are compatible with responsibility. We might give a social explanation, right? You only do parachuting if you are middle class or something like that. That does not mean having given a social determinants explanation of parachuting doesn't mean that you're not responsible for parachuting and now I got, I'm going to throw it back to you now because you know I used a lot of words to say very, something very simple so imagine we reform the healthcare system around the principle that said if you voluntarily took a risk and that risk led to a negative health consequence the healthcare system ain't gonna pay and society ain't gonna pay would that be so wrong? It's a very good and difficult question. I think we'll can try to answer it in a moment with my case. Oh, great! We can see how. But then let's let's look at the work. case. I would just add just shortly for people to also how to analyze this case again to distinguish between the moral justifications and rational justifications, right? Because that would often be the case in these kind of discussions, right? You know, there is a rational justification saying, well, simply we don't have the money. We don't have the capacity at the hospital to treat everybody equally. Thus, this changed the whole moral justification and so on. By that, I have not getting closer to an answer to the question. I'm just saying one way of approaching this very difficult question is at least to try to be aware of those two different kinds of justification that yeah i think you're absolutely right it's it's important that you make that distinction i think it's a version of the distinction i was making earlier between you know the sort of logistics argument yeah and the more fundamental philosophical yeah. argument absolutely. i just wanted to make it more explicit yeah and it's important for this. for listeners to understand as, as christopher is saying that you know the point about resources doesn't imply a point about morality so it might be that we're still pursuing a certain moral idea of equality, but we just don't have the resources, right? Uh, the other way around, you know, if we no longer pursue the moral idea of equality, well, let's see, maybe we can save some money. <laughs> so let's go to the case. And actually, I have already brought one case. I have actually brought two. Because uh, first of all, I do see the smokers in the general practice, right? I think for now, I, I think it's fair to say that they will lift them out of the comparison because I agree it's so much more difficult to actually 
categorize, characterize these, uh, this group of people, right? If they've been smoking for 40 years, also before it was so, there was so much awareness about smoking and so on. But I also brought up the whole CrossFit case because that is actually not unusual that I do have young people doing a lot of CrossFit, breaking parts of their body, or at least they come to me to get an assessment if whether they have broken something or not. And it's very common. It's, it's well known that uh, CrossFit has a high risk of injuries compared to many other sports. And then there is this other case that is also not unusual. Of course, it comes in many different variations, but um, I have had recently uh, this man, probably 60, originally from a different country. You can hear it in his accent and, uh, and read it in his name. You think people can hear my accent? <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, see, a prize yeah. for anybody guessing where I come from, right? <laughs> Sorry for interrupting. No, that's good. And um, he has been in the same clinic for years and he has a severe diabetes and he's not taking his drugs. And we have talked before, some drugs have not shown that much effect and so on. But in this case, he has a severe diabetes. It's very obvious he needs to take these drugs uh, it doesn't get better for him you can see that all the time all and the drugs would work in the this particular case yeah. and uh, we can manage to make him at least come to the clinic sometimes but uh, and he is, appears a little disturbed but uh, not uh, anything besides you know what you could what you're used to with people are different right and then one day he comes to me on an acute appointment because now he turned blind on one eye and partly blind on the other eye. And it's very difficult to figure out again with this guy, how long has this been actually going on? He have been maybe blind on one eye for at least a week, if not two before he consulted me. And of course, I have to refer him to the hospital and it's always impossible to get the referral to the eye doctors acute and so on. But it, he did, and I'm actually not sure how it ended with him. Uh, but that's not really the point either. I mean, this is just a very typical case with someone, you know, you try to provide the information. It's in this case, very clear. You can make it very clear statements to him that this is important these are the risks and so on and despite this he still ends up you know let's keep it simple he still ends up uh, require a lot of uh, resources from the society right but let's compare him with the you want to compare or, them with the smoker or the crossfitter the crossfitter or? yeah yeah let's compare him with the crossfitter right do they, do they have different autonomy here, you think? Or are they the same case? Or Yeah, this is really interesting. So, so basically, just, just to, to get it straight as a, as a non-medic. So we've got a patient here who's not complying with medical advice. The concrete way in which they're not complying with medical advice is that they're not taking their medications, right? And I guess what you're saying in the particular case you were describing is that there is a clear correlation, a causal correlation between not taking the medications and turning blind. 
right? Yeah. And then exactly, the, you know, the, the, the precise explanation doesn't really matter here. But it's clear that, you know, had he regularly taken the, the medications and had already complied with the advice, that thing wouldn't have happened or wouldn't have been as acute or would have happened much later in life or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. The details are not important. Exactly. It's basically just, you know, he has a disease. He's not taking his medication. He gets worse. Is this his own fault compared to someone who is healthy doing some sport that increased the risk of uh, diseases in terms of fractures here? Um, I think w what can help here is to introduce a concept that actually we've talked about uh, tribunals and, and trials and the law and lawyers. And then we were talking quite negatively or I was talking quite negatively at the beginning of the episode. But now I'm actually going to take something from uh, the legal sphere to help with this case, right? So, so in the legal sphere, we talk about mitigating reasons. And I think if you compare the crossfitter with your, um, with your diabetes patient, you might think in terms of mitigating reasons. Namely, I mean, this guy that, 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 that you're describing, your patient, Christopher, it might be his fault, but there clearly are mitigating reasons. I mean, even the fact of having been born in another country might be a mitigating reason. Having diabetes might be a mitigating reason. Even having an accident, uh, sorry, not an accident, having an accent. Um, that wasn't me <laughs> saying having an accent with an accent. That was an actual, that was an actual uh, misspoke. But um, because, you know, because it might be tougher to navigate the healthcare system with an accent. Um, so those could be potential mitigating reasons that you're still saying, okay, if I have to make an ascription of responsibility, I might still say, look, the person has autonomy. The person is in their right mind. They should take those pills. So if they're not taking them, it is their fault. But there are those mitigating reasons. Um, with the crossfitter, I find it a little bit more difficult to come up with the equivalent mitigating reasons, right? Um, because they're younger, they're healthier, they might be more privileged. Obviously, it depends. We, we, you gave a really good description of, of your patient. We haven't really sort of identified the crossfitter. But... Um, But just, just by nature of the example, we're thinking of someone younger, we're thinking of someone healthier. And um, so, so it's quite difficult to come up with equivalent mitigating reasons. Now, I think, again, like often in our podcast, in the end, it doesn't really matter what we say about the specifics of a case. It's about the theory. And here, I think what we've got is this idea of mitigating reasons that might help us deal with the case. And, um, and to clarify to listeners that having mitigating reasons doesn't necessarily mean that your patient is justified in not taking the pills. That's the beauty of talking in terms of mitigating reasons, that we can say, well, look, not taking the pills is a mistake. The patient should take the pills. So they are not justified in not taking the pills. But there are mitigating reasons. Um, now, And, and, and as I've argued, those mitigating reasons are much more difficult to come up with. I can't even conceptualize them for the case of the young crossfitter. Um, now, but, but there is also a problem, another problem in comparing the two cases, which is, so what is the equivalent of taking the pills in the case of the crossfitter? I guess the equivalent of taking the pills or taking the medications in the case of the crossfitter is not doing CrossFit. And I guess that is different, right? Because, you know, taking the pills is something you should do because of medical advice. 
And I'm not sure that we should say that we should have medical advice against people doing CrossFit, right? I don't know enough uh, about CrossFit for that, but I guess we live in a society that is emphasizing health, well-being, fitness, sports as a crucial part of well-being and staying healthy. And um, so it's quite difficult to, to make the comparison. Clearly, anything we say about the advantages, disadvantages, benefits and risks of CrossFit is not the same as advising a diabetes patient to take their medication. So, so in that respect, that also sort of skews the comparison. Um, but I hope that this idea of mitigating reasons that we've borrowed from, um, from the philosophy of law uh, can help sort of, I guess, if not give an answer to uh, what should we do with your patient, at least give some context to why it makes a lot of sense to give them a second chance, right? I mean, we don't want to be, I guess, now I'm no longer talking like ethics, I'm also almost talking politics, but we surely don't want to be the kind of country that doesn't give a second chance to that kind of person, right? But then it's easy for me to say, because they're not coming to my consultation hour, they're coming to yours. So, so what do you think? And I, I know that, you know, we're gone for so long, we need to finish, but very briefly, Christopher, what do you think about this case? Well, I think, again, from a medical point of view, my, my main value is my function as a, as a doctor helping those patients in front of me. Then it is exactly as you're saying. It's, it's going to be a political question about how, what are the, the conditions that I'm working under and so on. And it would be, no, sorry, I'm just thinking now out loud because you're saying it's a political question. And I wonder whether, I mean, it wouldn't be, would it be completely outrageous to say, you know, in a situation of scarcity of resources within uh, uh, the healthcare system, that we will move towards a process in which we will give up earlier, right? So how many reminders do we send to non-compliant patients? And then we might say, or, you know, like we used to send five reminders we really used to not give up on them and they cost money reminders because it's someone you know making phone calls or sending emails or whatever and you know from next year we'll only send three and once the third reminder is gone uh has gone unnoticed we just give up on a patient the problem about giving up on patients i think as you've illustrated really well it comes back to hunt you right because then the patient goes blind and then it's a lot more expensive so I think I think even though a lot of listeners might have some some empathy for or whether, or empathy or understanding for this idea that at some point you might be allowed to give up on a non-compliant patient, that's actually not necessarily the solution because it might cause even more harm, more damage, and also more resources to deal with that. Then we are back to the moral justification versus the the rational justification, right? So maybe equality is not such a bad thing in the end. Thanks for listening. Thank you.